It is the power of Almighty Podcast that commands you and compels. Commands and compels the pod people. I'm Matisse Van Rossum, and when in hell, we suck in cocks. No homo. <laughs> I'm Ben Sheets, and I think I drank a little too much holy water because my head is spinning. <laughs> Damn. It's rough. Hi, I'm Cleveland Mosier, and I do have a problem with my drink. There's some sort of a an alien pubic hair in there, or, I don't know, something I haven't seen before. I've seen it before. Have you? Yeah. And it is? It's mine. Oh! What you doing putting pubic hairs in people's drinks, huh? Well, thank you for joining us. <laughs> this evening. Validate that with a response. Uh, we're We're talking... Holy shit. Holy water. Holy water. Holy shit. We're talking about The Exorcist. We're doing it. Oh my god, we finally did it. It only took us six years to talk about arguably the most important horror film ever made. It's, um, it's so funny that we covered Exorcist 3 before. We did. <laughs> we did. We did. We did. We did. <laughs> Great movie, though. Oh, fantastic. And stands yeah. on its own very well. We'll go back and listen to our ex- our episode on The Exorcist 3. Our Exorcist. Um, our Exorcist. But we're doing another Exorcist. An Exorcist that, yes, we that, that we're long overdue for. And honestly, it really is a shame that uh, it's we have to do this uh, on the eve of Exorcist Believer. We, yeah, we have to do this as like a form of, of self-defense. We can't just cover yeah. The Exorcist and have a nice it's, time it's and a, a nice a, chat. No, it's all in preparation I for mean, some we, bullshit. We can, we can do both, but it really, it really is a preliminary penance. Um, for what we have to, for what we have to do next week, I almost feel like we set ourselves up for feeling even worse. Walking, oh out yeah, of by reminding by reminding highest. ourselves how good this movie the is most, before yes. before we immediately go next week to see how its legacy yeah. can be disgraced. <laughs> um, yeah, well, and it, I mean, it doesn't help that just uh, recently we we lost our our God King William Friedkin. Um, one the, of the greatest American directors. One of the greatest realist haters. One of the greatest filmmakers of all time, and one of the realist haters of all time, mm. hating until hating until the fucking day he died. Yeah, uh, I'm I, sure we've mentioned it on the podcast before, but if you haven't seen it, go watch his interview uh, with Nicholas Winding Rain. Oh, oh my god, oh, so is there a doctor in the house? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, anyway. William Friedkin directed The Exorcist, 1973, um, based on the novel by William Peter Blatty, who uh, did adapt his own work into the screenplay for this film. I, I don't think it's hyperbole to say that it wrote the language for every exorcism movie that has ever been made since then. Well, it's funny because, like, the exorcism subgenre is one of the low batting average subgenres in horror movies. Yeah. You know, like, this one's great, Exorcist 3 is great, and that's about it. <laughs> there's a few sure, others a... that are debatable. There's some others that are... like... Yeah, well... There's so many stinkers. Talking talking specifically Pope's like Catholic exorcism <laughs> movies. Yeah. Well yeah, we, we saw the Pope's Exorcist earlier this year. I've um, seen it twice since. 
since? Yeah. So you've seen it three times I now? I love it. I think it's great. That's crazy, dude. <laughs> I haven't like been like paying full attention. I just like I'll be running in the background and hanging out with friends, you know. But I I think it's I think it's charming as fuck. It's not a masterpiece or anything, but it's it's a joy. A masterpiece it certainly is not. But this film, this on film the other is. hand... Yeah. But no, it is funny you mentioned that, Ben, because it is true. Like, the, the genre as a whole, it, it suffers because the formula itself is quite easy to replicate. But really what makes this film wholly original is that it came first. Yes. Um, and, but, but also... All of the cliches came from this movie. But also, yeah. like, this movie, it acts on those cliches that weren't cliches at the time. But it, it acts on them, like so much better it executes on them yes so much better than any of the films that really came to follow for the most part and it's almost comical how this subgenre as at a whole is not very good but this film is one of the best horror movies ever made yeah i think you know the two are not unrelated i think that part of the reason why this subgenre has such a low batting average is because every single one of them just tries to do this movie again but louder yeah <laughs> that is yeah. i think that's the problem we'll see next week too um you know i think this movie definitely doesn't have a modern sensibility per se no it's very slow and methodical to a point where i could see some modern audiences having a hard time with it but you know in trying to take this formula and convert it to something more with more modern sensibilities or more mainstream sensibilities you miss the point of yeah. it. Yeah. And that's why so many just fail. The slow build is frankly what makes it work. I mean, there's, there's a sense of dread yeah. here. Yeah, there isn't any excising until the third act. Like, yeah, I mean, really. Well, I mean, like, like frankly, for about three quarters. Really, the, the last, like, 30 minutes. Mm. The movie's two hours. Which, and, like, the exorcism doesn't begin until mm. an hour and a half which, in. Which is funny because, like, I think it does. It feels like half of the film because it's just so. Because it's so intense. Yeah, and intense. But that actual exorcism scene is not is only nine minutes, which is wow. long. It's a long scene. It feels but it, it, long. Yeah, I mean, it feels like a fucking odyssey. And the, I think so full. I, I I think while we're talking about like what every other exorcism movie does wrong, and what I think they forget about when they're trying to ape this movie is that. In a lot of ways, like, the exorcism and the demonic possession are secondary in this movie, I think. Like, yeah. it's the catalyst for everything, right? But this is like a character drama. It's a character, character drama yeah. more than yeah. anything else between, you know, a small handful of really well-written, developed characters that are brought together due to this little girl being possessed. And it's like, that's what it's really about. It's about, like, Chris McNeil and Father Karras and their different sort of trajectories with their... with faith, right? And and belief and um, nihilism. And it's just like, that is the core of what makes this a compelling story. Not the possession or the exorcism itself and 
I feel like that just gets like left by the wayside with so many other movies that like try to do this, except for like Exorcist Three, which William Peter Blatty directed himself and is kind of the same movie as this one, but in a, or it's it's the same story but told totally differently. Yeah, I I think you hit the nail on the head there. Like this movie is about Chris, our main character, Ellen Burstyn, yeah, her you know kind of loss of control. There's something clearly wrong with her daughter, Reagan, and, you know, no matter what she does, you know, what experts she takes her to, there's no answers, you know, and it's that dread of kind of losing a loved one to something totally alien and unknown. Yeah, and having to turn to something that you don't believe in out of desperation. Yeah. Like, she even says she doesn't have any religious beliefs. She and her daughter don't have any religious beliefs at all. And after talking to, you know, what she says is 88 doctors trying to figure out what's (laughs) wrong with her child, the doctors are basically just like, "Uh, fuck if we know, maybe try an exorcism? We don't believe in exorcists. But maybe, like, she, by believing in one, will believe that she's been exorcised. It'll snap her out of her psychosis, you know? It's like, you might as well just try that. And so, and, and you know, at this point, we're already well over half halfway through the movie. But it's like, then the only person who's willing to help her out is a priest who himself has completely lost his faith. Right, Christ is And, like, how those two characters come together is just, like, so fucking compelling and interesting and good. And it's just, like, all of the, like, horror stuff, which is also really good... It just, like, feels so secondary to that. And you you said earlier, Ben, that, like, this movie might be challenging for modern audiences. And I think you're right. I think in some ways it's a victim of its own legacy where it is, you know, talked about as, you know, the highest grossing horror film of all time, which it is. Um, And, you know, like, one of the most important, the scariest film of all time. All of these things which it was when it came out, and laid the groundwork for a subgenre of horror that we all know so well because it's been around since before we were born. Yeah, and, and I mean... knowing all of that and never seeing this movie, and when the time you, by the time you get to it and you see something that's so slow and relatively understated and, you know, very much a character drama and is using all of what you would consider at this point to be cliches because it created all of them, right? Then, yeah, I can see why a younger person watching this movie might be like, this is boring. Yeah, what the well, fuck is this? Think but think about it like this. Like, the the marketing, the original marketing for the theatrical run of this was pretty legendary. Yeah. You know, they uh, played up how people would faint during screenings and they would have vomit bags for people, you know, in case it was too intense. And like, and a lot of that is true. Like, people were, like, getting up and walking out and fainting during this movie. Like, for 1973, this movie was extremely transgressive. And that's like yeah. the last of an era, too, where they would, they would play up those theatrics for audiences. 
also, you know, in the same vein as, like, Hitchcock having, like, nurses waiting in the wings and, like, other things like that where they would, you know, really reinforce that a film could hurt you. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, the, the, I would argue they continued that kind of marketing at least up through the 90s and early found oh, footage sure. stuff. Yeah, but yeah, I think, sure. Really, it's the start of an era. It's the start of horror movies being, quote-unquote, scary. <laughs> you think? Because, like, I don't know. Like, I think that that changes for every, like, generation. I mean, I, I, I mean, think... you've got the guy coming out from behind the curtain for, like, Frankenstein and being like, hey, you could have a heart attack watching this. And... Yeah, but, I, I mean, this movie is sort of, like, a very distinctive turning point. Sure. Like, I say that half-joking that this is when movies horror movies became scary. Because, like, sure, there was... There were plenty of horror movies before this that scared people or that were creepy. A lot of Hitchcock, yeah, Psycho. Psycho. I see where you're coming Pe- from. Peeping now. Tom, stuff like this. But this is like, think think of how the landscape of horror developed in just the few years after this movie in 1973. Mm-hmm. The very next year, we have Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Just a couple of years after that, Still we have... Halloween and Alien in the same year. Same year as Texas Chainsaw Massacre, we have Black Christmas. This is like a turning point where horror movies are getting, like, meaner. And, meaner and more extreme. And more extreme. You know, I think, uh, it's, it's the, and nastier. They, they broke a real taboo with this film, also. And that's that they really went after a child. Like, the yeah. whole crux of this film is, you know, like, this, this innocent, sweet girl being irrevocably harmed. Yeah. And there's... Spiritually raped. Yes. And that, that's territory that, that films, like, largely up to that point weren't willing to, to enter. Mm. And, you know, the same can be said for your your chainsaws and the rest. Like, they... they, they that's, when, that's when films really started pushing it. Yeah. Um, and this was really... And this was really the first one to do it in that kind of way. Yeah. And it's it is funny to think like back on people fucking fainting from fear in this movie or whatever. But like really as a movie goer back then, like you haven't seen anything like this before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like I don't think that, that that like should be understated. And and I and I think you can see a lot of that in in like the meat of this movie, and I, I love watching this movie trying to imagine what it's like having never seen anything like this before. It's like, I can I can see how this affected people. So I will say, the last time I watched this movie was, was as a child. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I had a very, I've you know, talked about this plenty of times before, but I, I had a very eclectic childhood. I grew up watching the old monster movies and other The universal like shit, that. yeah. Universal shit. And my, my parents had no interest in horror, so I didn't grow up, like, in horror films, apart from, again, like, the old classic monster movies. So okay. um, I watched this at a friend's house for a Halloween, and it was by far the most, like, R-rated horror movie I'd ever seen. Yeah. As well. So, like, I kind of shared that. And for, and now, okay, it's it's worth saying that, like, okay, our generation is also, you know, like, we, we didn't grow up with cell phones. We didn't grow up with the rest. So, like, I guess, like, you know, we're kind of the last, you know, like a, I don't want to say the last of an old car. That sounds boomer as fuck. But, like, I re- right. You remember drinking out of the hose? Yeah, I, I do. And, <laughs> God damn it. And, uh. When I was growing uh, up, we didn't have the dang internet. Yeah, we didn't. And, like. It did have a pretty profound impact on me. I remember, like, thinking about, like, those, the the impressions of, like, 
the the demon like appearing on like the side of the the stove and stuff in that shot you know in those shots and um yeah that's that's much more heavily heavy-handed in the director's cut which we yes. did not watch we, we did, did watch, watch we watched the theatrical cut because mm-hmm. that's what was on max right i have seen the director's cut as yeah. well and that's though. what i had originally watched too it's been, long, watched, it's been a long time walk in it. and um it got me pretty good i was pretty spooked yeah by by this movie uh but it is, it is one of the first like proper hardcore like horror films that i watched it's it's creepy too like i i genuinely think like a lot of the exorcism stuff and just like especially just like the atmosphere that they set like in that room is still like i think unparalleled in in films of the genre agree that the way they make it so fucking cold you can see all of their breath misting because it's just fucking ice cold in there the texture of it oh my god and and that was fucking real they had like industrial air conditioners hooked up to that room and were keeping it like below 30 degrees so it shows the actors are like physically shivering. Yeah, they're shaking and all of their breath acting? is like frosty in the air and just like that cold light and the fucking like makeup on Linda Blair, Rick Baker, or uh, Dick Smith. Yeah. the uh, Rick Baker was Dick Smith's apprentice on this movie. Yeah. Um, the, the makeup holds up incredibly. So like well. And you know what everyone always talks about? is like for good reason like reagan's makeup but the makeup that is honestly the most impressive to me is fucking max von cito's makeup because he was only 44 when they shot this movie (laughs) and he looks like an old man it's like some of the best old age makeup i've ever seen in any movie and it came out in fucking early 70s and yeah it's just just the fucking attention to detail. I mean, this was not a cheap movie to make, and nor was it an easy production. I think I think they shot for something like two hundred and twenty days, something yeah, like that. Well, uh, it was only supposed to be like a sixty-day shoot it initially. Was plagued with issues. Uh, there is a scene early on when uh, Reagan's in her bed, you know, freaking out, and mm-hmm. the bed is shaking, and she's, you know having sort of what looks like a seizure yeah and uh two operators were shaking the bed from behind the the wall cut out and really going into it and uh she broke her spine her yeah her and ellen burston both received like permanent spinal injuries on the set of this i think the one that got linda blair is is the one where she's being jerked up into the air when she's thrashing yeah, on the bed, because yeah. they had a they had her on a harness and a yeah. piece of it broke, so when they jerked her up, like it it injured her spine. And Ellen Burson, like the 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 part where she gets like flung back by Reagan and like hits the wall, she like fractured her tailbone, I think. Yeah, and uh, that scream of pain as she falls is real. Um, also, William Friedkin was just walking around the set firing off a gun behind people's heads to startle them and shit. And get their authentic reactions. And get their authentic reactions. Like, it got to the point where um, Max Foncito, when he would come on to set, he would go to the cinematographer and he would ask him where all of Friedkin's guns were hidden around the set. (laughs) Just so he could keep an eye so he could see when William Friedkin would go reach for one of the guns. That's some jackass shit. I'm sorry. Like, yeah, that's that's some... William Friedkin is, I mean... 
one of the one of the greatest, but absolutely fucking insane. A madman, like, a, a tr- like a true crazy person. Like people give people like always talk about fucking like Stanley Kubrick being like an exacting and like difficult director to work with. Like William <laughs> Friedkin was walking around firing a gun on set to scare people, <laughs> which yeah. is pretty funny. And I the, will say the the reactions he gets are great. Yeah, I mean, I, I did make read this movie. I did read that know? the only person who he would tell beforehand was Linda Blair because he wanted her to like, you know, since she's possessed, he wanted her to not like appear frightened. He wanted her to be calm. Yeah. So he would, so he would go and tell her when he was getting ready to shoot off a gun <laughs> by somebody's head. I just think that's funny. Just like him having this secret with this thirteen-year-old girl, and so I was like, "All right, I'm gonna go up. I'm gonna, I'm gonna shoot a gun behind Ellen's head now." It's <laughs> crazy. Give her a, a real good scare. Yeah. So yeah, I would say I was about the same age. You to watch the movie. I was probably about thirteen, and yeah, it definitely had a lasting effect on me. Um, I I haven't watched it since, but it was also vivid, you know, in my mm. mind. Um, another thing too is that my family was always like, "Oh, you know, you're." your uncle saw it and like, he's a real macho dude. And like, it really like freaked him out or whatever. Like we'd never watch it. So my parents were always saying like, Oh, you know, that movie's too scary. We wouldn't, we wouldn't mess with that. And like, having watched it at a young age, I thought, well, damn, it's still just a movie. Yeah. You know, like, and it, it felt like a, like I was like psychically making my way through some sort of contest, you know? And I still feel that way watching movies you know, to this day. Like, like as an, as an adult, like, that, you know, like, when you watch a particularly dark and fucked up movie, it's like, yeah, I'm a psychonaut. Like, I'm I'm mentally, <laughs> like, you know, empowered, you know? Like, I made it through the, the darkness, you know, on the other side. And, like, I think that's fun. It's stupid. It's corny. <laughs> I was gonna say, homie, that's one of the fucking dumbest things it's... I've ever heard. <laughs> but, like, I, I think that, I think a lot of people will relate to that. I think I think that, that folks will, will definitely get down with that idea of, like, you know, watching a horror film to... You know, get get power over the you know have agency over the the dark. I mean, yeah, it's a evil. there's there's a word for it. It's a it's it's a means of catharsis. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you don't but have you don't have to be doing psychic battle with it. I think it's funnier <laughs> to put it that way. Um, sure. And uh, you know, again, I'm trying to I'm trying to frame it like as a 13 year old would. Okay, yeah. You know, at, like, at age 13, you were doing psychic battle with Pazuzu. Yeah, exactly. You get it. So about you guys? When did y'all watch first watch The Exorcist? Uh, yeah, I think it was about the same age, about thirteen. You know, it was one of my earliest horror movie experiences. It was late for me. I didn't see it until until college for the first time, mm. and I did like it. But I I do think that I suffered a little bit from um what I described earlier, um, you know, with how younger audiences might, uh, you know, reach this movie. Well, and, you know, like we were saying, you know, part of it is expectations. Going exactly. In. You know, when people, when it's marketed at the scariest movie ever and, you know, such an extreme horror movie and, oh my God, yeah. people are vomiting and fainting, you expect something way more frenetic i guess you could say yeah and and know. also i was just like i i i had that thought like this is cool but i've seen this movie before and it's like yeah. at that at that time at that point like i'm still developing like my my sense of taste in film in a lot of ways and so it's like 
okay, I've seen a million exorcism movies. All right, yeah, this is the one that started all cool, but I've seen this movie a million times. And it's like, as I've watched it more, matured, so on and so forth, it's easy to recognize it for what it is as the best movie to ever do these things. <laughs> um, like, its legacy is is incredibly well-earned, but I do think it's a vic- it can be a victim of it a little bit. Well, another thing I think it's a victim of in its own legacy is also its cultural impact religiously, mm. right? So I think another thing that made this film so effective is not only is it breaking a taboo of, like, harming a child, on the other hand, it's also highly validating religion. Like, Friedkin was, like, largely an atheist, from what I understand, and... Also raised Jewish. Raised Jewish, right. Um, and so, like... Uh, William Peter Blatty, though, very religious. Very religious, and it comes through. Yeah. In the film. And the, the body of the movie is the mother using every means within her wealth. She's also very... She's clearly because she's, act- she's an actress. Yeah, yeah. Um, and showing like she has she has like help and ha- like multiple like manservants and shit in the house. Like yeah, she's got a maid cooking dinner and like a butler and shit. Like like she clearly has lots of money, and so she's using all the power of her wealth to acquire all the scientific knowledge to help her child. Mm-hmm. And so like every doctor, the best technology, the best stuff in the world, and you see it in that last scene where the doctors <laughs> finally suggest like, hey, maybe try an exorcist because it's like it's a whole panel of people. Yeah, right. Um. And uh, I love that the opening shot of that scene too, with the big like table. yeah, just her yeah. and the ta- the huge table surrounded by all these people in mm-hmm. white coats. Yeah, like you really see like the extent of like what it's taken. Yeah, you know, to, to get there, and, and how isolated she is, how alone she is. Yes, yeah. and and because because the modern world can't help her, only religion can. And like I, I can't even say I can only imagine like when I was. 13 and young i was bouncing around different youth yeah. groups in the south like also religious and it is validating <laughs> like sure oh like, yeah watching that. Sure. like it, like like, re- like so i think that's one of the reasons the exorcist did so well is because even though it breaks like one taboo it also validates the like like the the majority of the nation you know like yeah. like in the u.s like it it it, it like it's a horror film for Christians, but it validates Christianity. But also, like some of the some of the greatest critics of the film were a lot of Christians. Sure, they thought it was like yes, ultimately, like God, quote unquote, does win in the end. Not in a way that I think is is as heavy handed as most of these movies play it. No, we can get into Thankfully. that. Yeah. Um, so but. I mean, this movie is so, like, in its depiction of demonic possession, it is so, like, filthy and blasphemous. Like, the stuff that it shows Reagan, possessed Reagan, doing and the things that she's saying, that's another reason why it shocked so many people. And I also think it's, you know, not unreasonable to say that in the 70s, you know, people, Americans were pro, were largely more religious than they are now. Yes. We live in a more secular world now, Absolutely. 50 years later. And, you know, that was already, you know, well beginning at this, at this point in the 70s. I'm not saying they were all, you know, mm-hmm. believers and so on and so forth. But I don't know if I agree that this is a horror movie for Christians. No, but it... I, think, I get, I get where you're coming yeah, from, but I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's, 
Well, compared compared to a lot of the movies that have tried to do what it does, I don't think that this movie is ultimately cheerleading for Christianity <laughs> no, and cheerleading like, for like, God. It's simply not like, championing because like God, God doesn't like. God doesn't really intervene and win in the end, does he? It's it's Karis's goodness and selflessness that wins. And you can say that that is God working through him, sure, but it's not like, you know, it's not like the fucking Conjuring 2 where the demon is, like, blasting, uh, you know, fucking Vera Farmiga up against a wall and she holds out her crucifix and, yeah. you know, a beam of light blasts the demon off into hell or whatever. <laughs> like, it's... Th- th- this movie is so much smarter than that, More you know? Rich, yeah. And Well, I-, I, see it, I see it kind of in a similar sense to, like, The Passion of the Christ. You know, like, The Passion of the Christ is also, like, large, like, argue, like, much more modern, but, like, arguably a horror film for Christians also. Well, yeah, that it is, because that is, that is, uh, that film is proselytizing. Yes. It is made, you know, specifically to prey on Christian guilt. See, see the horrible torment that your savior underwent for you. Be a better Christian. Give money to the church. Give money to Mel Gibson. Man, I give money. I, I don't think Passion of the Christ is a horror movie, but if it was, it's not. But we, but but it's but, but it's, it's a horror movie for Christians. It. It's not, but it's a horror movie for Christians. It's more of an exploitation <laughs> movie. Yeah, but yeah. again, a horror movie for Christians. The, sure. the types of people who are going to see that but do not watch. I, I think shit that bloody. part of the reason this was so controversial with the reactionary right and Christian sex is a lot of you know. Those people like take art on face value. Yes. So when when you see a, a child, you know, masturbating with a a cross and saying "Let Jesus fuck you," yeah, uh, you're gonna be offended regardless of whether it's a demon or not. You yeah, know? because you like you might be kind of dumb, but you're you're not so dumb that you don't realize that that's an actor doing that and that like it's yeah. they're reading lines that were written by but somebody you, so it is so in the act of putting those words to paper and then acting them out on camera you are committing blasphemy right yeah and you know like in fairness like too i remember that sort of dialogue around the film as well again growing up in the very christian south you would hear that sort of thing where it's like you know like oh man you know just by watching a movie like that you're inviting something yeah, and maybe you know to kind of come back around on it because I think before I n- mentioned this point, I, I want to say like you said it well. This movie was divisive and it was controversial and it created a lot of dialogue, right? Like everyone was talking about this movie. And I think to present the other side of what I was mentioning about like how it validates Christianity, there is also that other aspect of it where that you were mentioning as well from a Christian aspect too. Like it's blasphemous and people, I think, saw it as something that invited evil yes in a, in a very um like a, in a satanic panic sort of fashion yeah as well and i th- yeah I, I think that i well, think that both realities are true i think that like and that's that's why there is so much contention around there and also like you know there were a few cases of you know people like killing themselves right after seeing this movie or a couple of people 
you know, uh, did some murders and then tried to say that they were possessed after seeing the exorcist. Sure, I'm sure there's something a whole rash them. possessions. Um, so, you know, like, there, those kinds of stories help fuel that panic as well. Something that I, I feel like is, is easy to overlook, too, uh, is... Another thing this movie did is it introduced the concept of exorcism into the popular culture because that was not a thing in pop culture like at all before this. Most people didn't know what the word exorcism meant before this movie. You know, like in that in that fucking line where Karis says to to uh to Chris McNeil in the basement um, he's when he's like, there are no experts in exorcism. You probably know as much about exorcism as most priests do. And it's like, that was true. And then this movie comes along and all of a sudden exorcism is now a part of pop culture. And we see the way that it's like ingrained itself in horror, everything, books, movies, yeah, well, that TV. Be emphasized because even in the film, like, exorcism isn't like a common practice in catholicism it's like a fringe of a fringe of like an extreme sect that's like closeted off and like brushed aside and they you know the catholic church pretends it doesn't even exist and you have to get a load of authorization to even you know carry one out i i think that's what makes that whole angle so compelling for the Chris character, you know, is not only is she having to go to the church as a last-ditch effort to help Reagan, it's not just going to a normal church. It's, you know, going to, like, an extreme viewpoint that, like, most Catholics wouldn't even believe in, you right. know? And as somebody who doesn't have the idea of an of like an exorcism like that, like just being told it's like, yeah, there's like a ritual where a priest is going to like come over to your house and do like a bunch of like Latin chants and stuff and it'll expel the demon from your daughter like that sounds fucking insane, I right? Mean, she even she says she's like, doctor. yeah, she's like, are you are you telling me to call a witch doctor? That's like I think such an overlooked thing is like that this when this movie came out, like, the idea of an exorcism was fucking novel. And it's like, that's so hard for me to, like, wrap my brain around, is, like, not having, like, a strong conception of what an exorcism is. And the reason that we all do is because of this movie. Yep. Well, uh, I do want to talk about the, the opening a little bit. Love the opening. The opening is sort of unexpected if you don't know what's coming because it it's said in the middle east in iraq right? yeah. yeah and it's like 20 and minutes like 20 minutes yeah set and shot and it's all centering around max von, uh, von sido's character yeah, yeah. Say, my dad likes to say max von sidecar which is rude yeah that is rude <laughs> shout him out shout him out um, max for calling him out yeah. calling your dad canceling your dad for making fun of swedish people yeah it's fucked up it is fucked up yeah you know, he plays a priest, but he's also doing some archaeology. Mm-hmm. He's uh, digging up tombs, as one character later says. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's very deliberate in its pacing. Um, as, you know, things are revealed, he finds artifacts. Yeah, well, he finds a, a little a little statue of a, of a head, a bestial-looking 
kind mm-hmm. of head um, that makes him, you know, very unsettled. And I like that, uh, you know, he's he's looking at that again in, like, the office of, you know, whoever that guy is, the curator of, of whatever. Um, and he says, uh, you know, evil fights evil, or evil to fight evil. The idea that, like, these people were, like, invoking their own demon to, like, drive away others, I think is very cool. And yeah, then it sort of ends with him like going back to these ruins and seeing this, you know, big statue of Pazuzu uh, and sort of like squaring off with it. I love that shot of them both like silhouetted against the sky. It looks like two fucking like cowboys, you know, like editing is stunning too because like they cut to uh, a shot of like dogs fighting nearby. Mm And, like, there's a guy just staring at him. And, like, it just evokes, like, this hostility in the yeah. environment around him. Well, and also that, like, there's there's some sort of wrong magic. Um, like, in, like, certain circles of, like, witchcraft and stuff, like, that, that sound of braying dogs mm-hmm. is often, like, affiliated with, like, I like love something being wrong. The sound design in this movie is across the board so great, but yeah, that when he's, like, seeing the statue and seeing all this stuff, there's, like, this sound of, like, buzzing flies that just sort of is, like, escalating, um, and yeah, I, I just, I love this as, like, a setup for... You know, something that that doesn't pay off until the climax at the very end, but kind of, you know, when they do bring Max von Sydow back at the end, it's like, okay, he knows he's encountered this demon before. Mm -hmm. He's maybe... They they also reference, like, you know, 10 to 12 years before, like, him performing an exorcism in Africa or something. It's like, maybe he's fought this same demon before. I want to say that... The prequel, Exorcist Four, the one which I've not seen. I think that's telling that story. Okay, Dominion, Exorcist Beginning. The Paul Schrader one, that's the one because they shot the movie twice. Yeah, it's like totally different, and one of them is Paul Schrader. Yeah, they're both Exorcist Four. Yeah, which is I've not seen those. Yeah, I've only seen I've only seen one and three, and I think I'm fine with that. I've heard I've heard two sucks. Um, you know, that the, the fourth existed. I'm not surprised. Yeah, two fourths. Yeah, I mean, Paul Schrader's great. I haven't seen it either, and I have no. Yeah, I'd be yeah. curious to see a Paul Schrader well, just, Exorcist film. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what happens when like your film made by an actual auteur uh, becomes a money machine. Um, you know, like where it was, it was just made to be one perfect film. Yeah, and. Uh, the studio wanted more. Well, yeah, it's what inevitably happens. I I I saw that um like the the a week or two after it premiered when it was doing really well, like the studio called Friedkin up or like we want to do a sequel. He just said fuck off and hung up the phone. King shit. <laughs> King shit. What a legend. What a legend. And I want to say too while we're talking about how cool William Friedkin is. Uh William Friedkin awesome. Uh, <laughs> yeah. more like uh, sorry, kind of disrespectful if I'm being real. Uh, but no, uh, that that he did uh, have an opportunity to discount the new one before he died. 
is that you know we said in an interview that like people will probably try and say that like I I I no he, he fucking happen. tweeted it like yeah, la- it yeah like he tweeted it vicious tweet like, like last year like there's rumors that I'm involved with a, a new Exorcist sequel and I just want everyone to know that that is not fucking true, true. Yeah. <laughs> legend yeah fucking legend great. like got that one out there Let honestly. I not that he would have seen it anyway, but probably better that he died like before Exorcist Believer even came out. Oh yeah, well I mean like if he had better for him to not exist. He was around in the for the same... other four, you know. So you know, it's, it's three is good, but even still, though. two. I don't know. We're already ta- we're already talking shit about a movie we haven't even seen yet. Yeah, what if it's yeah. what if it's great? So um, something that is great about this film is what they feel they don't need to say. Many other exorcism films, I think, including other films in this franchise, make the mistake of getting into the deep lore of the demon. Yes. And here... Love how vague this this one is. Right, well, it's vague, but, like, they give you enough texture to go off of. Yeah. Like, the, whole, the whole intro, the film we were discussing, like, clearly, this is a an ancient creature. It uh, It has a face, we see it, you know, like imposed on her, and uh, in dreams it appears uh, there. There's flashes of yeah. this weird face, and I guess on the stove as well in certain cuts. Yeah, and um, that weird face was literally just a makeup, like an alternate makeup test for one of their early ideas for Reagan's makeup. So they just did her up like that, and like took a bunch of stills, and were like. Nah, we're gonna go with something different. But they still yeah. used it to just like flash very, every now and then as like the demon's face. You can see like Nosferatu kind of. Yeah, you can see like the heavy shadows under the eyes. Yeah, kind of rat like. Um, it's very vampiric, and, and there's all the stuff that like the demon starts to let on and to say to the father before um, Max von Sydow arrives. And but when Sydow arrives, he makes it clear, don't listen to it. Yeah. Those are all lies. Discount it. And so from that point on, like, we're we're also sort of instructed to, like, not give that any heat. Mm-hmm. You know, he's spent his whole life, like, traveling all over the world, being a little Indiana Jones, like, searching out, like, the deep lore of this demon. And it's important that we don't know it for our own safety. Because, like, it's a, you know, it's it's a hazard. Yeah. You know, to, to know it. And that's cool. That's cool as fuck. So, like, he, like, freaking gives us, like, enough texture to know that it is real, but not enough to tell us what it is, and that's what makes it powerful. And yeah. like, and it gives it gives it that speculation, and I think it also creates great dialogue around it too, where folks can talk about what it is. And it's also largely why again, I haven't seen it, but it's why like two is largely lambasted for giving it a name, Pazuzu. Yeah, well, that's silly bullshit. Well, I mean, that is in fairness, Pazuzu is an actual demon. From like old Assyrian, well, giving Babylonian. it or naming it, I should. But say. also yeah. in the novel, The Exorcist, and in the script, the demon is named as Pazuzu. That's why it works. It's never said in. It's never said what? in the movie. And that's what you do. But yeah, that's that's good writing. I, I, my point is, is like the second one didn't just come up with a goofy name to give this demon. No, no, like, and that's not the problem. That it, was the problem that was always the there in its lore. It's that they it's that they named it. It's that they gave it that name. Yeah. Because like, as an audience member, like, part of the fun is putting the pieces down yourself and being given that opportunity well, the, to do it, to interact with the film. Yeah, the, the cool thing is, is that, like, yeah, by saying they, it, they, they never, they don't actually need to name it 
because they give enough clues that you know anybody who wants to do that digging can figure it out like the the statue that Max von Sydow faces off against is like an actual statue of Pazuzu of that actual demon like based on all of these like you know ancient statues that have been found like the the tall bestial face thing four wings big snake cock one arm pointing up one arm pointing down um and uh what's cool is that pazuzu is like the demon of like the southwest wind or something like that and so one of the first things we see when we're introduced to to reagan and uh and chris is when Chris comes in and the window is open. Rat. And, like, it's From blowing the in the wind. And, you oh, know, she fun. goes and she closes it and, you know. By design. Yeah. Yeah. Gah. See, that's so cool. And that, that's what I'm saying, right? Like, you and it's like it. none of that is none of that is explicitly yeah. stated in the film. And it's like and that's that's like to. extra. That's like that's like extra deep lore that you can find for yourself. Yeah, you probably know. much easier to do that now than it was in 1973. And that's the best storytelling. I think it applies to video games as well. But mm-hmm. it's that idea where like you build it and then you let the, the audience, the player, yeah. the reader, the viewer, like you let them explore it themselves and find those puzzle pieces. You just you give them enough to still. Give them a cohesive story without. Like, and that's that's key. Yeah. And and that's the character story. Like that's what the movie is. You know, like as a as a film functioning on its own in a vacuum, it's a fantastic character story mm-hmm. about desperation and loss of faith. And faith being regained out of desperation. And like that that all holds on its own fine. And then in addition, you get the really tasty It's also a good horror movie. Yeah, it's a great horror movie. Yeah, um, yeah you, you get all this additional lore and depth that even if you don't know it, you feel it. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I think that not explicitly being explained and things not being super lore-heavy helps in a sort of folklore-esque way. You know, this came out mm-hmm. before the internet. You know, when people talk about this movie, they talk it up and... The extremes and like when you're sharing what happened and what happened secondhand and you know what you think the lore is, it gets an almost mythical status. And you know, it's one of those cases where I heard about this movie what, years before I first saw it. Yeah. And it was talked up like it was the scariest thing. Yeah. And I think that's because it doesn't explicitly explain everything. So again, yeah. it it gets this sort of folklore storytelling secondhand from people, and also she vomit pea soup. She that's scary soup. too. And crab yeah. walk down the stairs. And well, that's only in the director's cut. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's what everyone talks about. I will say, yeah, walking. like we we watched as you mentioned, we watched the theatrical cut, and I think the theatrical cut is very good. However, I do miss some of those. More over-the-top effects from the director's cut. And I get they kind of make the movie feel a little less grounded. It's funny that it's it's called the director's cut, because it is, technically, but it really should be William Peter Blatty's cut, because all of the stuff that they put back in was stuff that Friedkin wanted to remove in the first place. Specifically because he thought it didn't work. The crab walk thing he thought was showing too much too early in the film. And that's why he wanted to cut it. And all of these things 
Blatty fought him on. And so years later, when they decided to do a reappraisal and a new cut, Friedkin was like, ah, well, Bill Blatty wanted this this stuff in there, so let's put it back in for, for this cut. And then years later said that he ultimately does prefer that later cut of the film. So he even himself came around on it. Um, but I do think it's funny that it's, you know, the director's cut when it's really more like the writer's cut. Yeah. I, I love that, those sort of, like, production choices where mm-hmm. there's, like, a bit of contention, you know, between, like, the writer, director, actors as to, like, what really belongs in the film and what yeah. makes the story whole. And it, it just reinforces that movies are just these, they're, they're, they're big cathedrals, man. It takes a lot of people to make a movie, you know? like they're, There are cathedrals everywhere for those with eyes to see. <laughs> like, yeah, but, you know, they are, like, they're, it takes a village. You know, to make a movie. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it, I, I, I think that's dope. I think that's super cool. It's not about one person. It's not just about. It's about all these great people coming together and making something great. Yeah. Um, well, in the case of this movie, struggling for a very long time yeah. to make this movie and generally having a bad time of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but look what we got as a result. Yeah. They didn't know that Worth going in. Yeah. You know, through all that struggle, through all that like making that movie, they didn't. You never. You, don't, you never know. Well, yeah, yeah all of that, they they didn't know that they were going to change the landscape of horror forever. Yeah. Once again, like, not hyperbolizing. That's movies, baby. That's, that's movies, why I, baby. That's why I always say that's movies, baby. That's movies, baby. It's your catchphrase. For it's on my It's on Keynote. my shirt. Yeah. There's so many little touches in this movie. You know, I will say... We don't we don't get demon stuff until the very end, but there is one really good practical sequence where they perform um uh like a really complex x ray. Oh yeah, like an like an arteriogram or something where yeah. they have to like insert like a wire like into the artery in her it's neck. It's harsh. It's hard to watch. Yeah, that it's, I mean those are incredible. That is one of the better details of this movie is that like all of the stuff that like we just like seeing Ellen Burstyn's like whole journey as she's like trying to f- desperately to find out like what's happening to her daughter before she even thinks of turning to religion and seeing like Reagan being put through all of these you know uh medical tests and procedures that are you know it's like watching somebody being tortured like that, that, that uh, arteriogram or whatever is like, lady, yeah, yeah, it goes on so long and just like have the, the blood like casually spurting from her neck as they're like setting up like the, the, the drip or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then like wheeling in these huge machines like all around her head and they turn them on and it sounds like a fucking machine gun being fired. Well, and it, it's also so well and gracefully reinforced by the cinematography, we're always seeing this from the mother's perspective. Yeah. Um, like, what the, they're the shots doing are always to her over daughter, her shoulder. Yeah. She's watching, like, from behind a, a glass panel. And yeah. so, like, even, like, when we cut over to, like, the close-ups and the shots of it going through her throat, we still see the window there with mm. the mother in the background. Like, always watching concern for her daughter, and it puts us on, on edge the same as she is. And, like... Same as well with, like, the, the scene with the scientist. Like, she's at the head of the table. Um, when the scientists are speaking to her, the camera's, like, rotating behind her. Um, and it's always putting her, like, in silhouette and behind it. We're always, like, 
like when or when necessary, like when to raise the tension, we're seeing it through her mm. eyes. I mean, over her shoulder. It's just, just great, and it's a, and it's that kind of subtlety that um, you just—they don't make them like that anymore, man. Just making it really feel like you're watching it with that person mm. to the point where you almost become that person, like feeling those sequences out. And that's just good cinematography, man. Like, yeah, and you emphasized like how torturous that procedure, arteriogram, yeah, something like that. Something like yeah, that. Uh, that procedure is. And it really emphasizes one of the other most horrifying parts of the movie. You know, outside of uh, Chris being sort of in a state of helplessness because her daughter is experiencing all of this, there's also the element of Reagan being trapped in her body with a demon in there as well, in control, and being, you know essentially tortured you know she feels all of this stuff yeah she can't act on it i one of my favorite shots in the movie is when they pull up her shirt to see her chest Mm -hmm. and uh there's like scarring that writes out help me that looks like it's coming from the inside it's not like being written on her flesh like it's pushing it's like scar tissue that's like pushing up from inside yeah it's so great i love that's that's a that's a an effect that's been done to death at this point yeah totally but but again never as well just did it first and better yeah. you know it's still better I, too. I, and i love i love um like thinking about like reagan being you know trapped in her body with this demon i love that the demon always refers to itself as us when when it even is like talking to karis and saying like how excited the idea of an exorcism makes it and he's like he's like why is that he's like it'll bring it'll bring us closer together and he's like you and reagan and he says no, you and us, which is like great, great foreshadowing. Yeah. Um, well, he ends up using that. He weaponizes that against it, which is super fucking cool. Well, also, I mean, it is what happens, right? Well, and, and, and not it, just what he, happens. He does. He is literally brought closer together mm-hmm. with with them when the demon. <laughs> Goes into him at the end, yeah. And and also, that's biblical. That happens in the Bible. Yeah. We are legion. Like, you know, that's always quoted. Mm. But the the sequence that happens at that part of the Bible is... It then puts itself into an army of pigs, and they Jesus all drown. Jesus sends them into into, into a herd of pigs, yeah, and then, and then and drowns they, all. And they all them. run into the river. So that yeah. idea of like demons hopping hosts and then using that opportunity to kill the host and kill the demon. That's a, that's just the Bible, baby. Yeah. Like, and so, like, it is cool that, like, they do use the same rules that they're pulling from to destroy the demon. And yeah. Again, that's because it was written by an avid Christian. And, like, it works for it. Like, it's Although, it's something, something I will, I will, the one little thing in that I will push back on is, in this case, I do not think at all that it is the demon that causes Karis to jump from the window at the end. That is his no, strength no, of him will. will. Yeah, like Christ that willing is it his, into the sheep to drown them. That is his strength of will taking over before he's about to hurt Reagan no, and, hurling him, yeah, and hurling yeah. himself from the window to save Reagan and, and get rid of the demon. No, there'll be no disagreement for me. Like, that's just yeah. a clarification. Because, like, um, I... Yeah, that, that's what's so cool. It's like, he hears earlier on when the demon tells him, 
you know, we're going to make you us. Yeah. And he realizes I can use that at the very end. And he brings the demon into him, take me instead. Yeah. And he has that. Well, and they even show it pretty clearly. Like we see like his face becomes horrific. And then for just a split second, it's him again. He yeah. sees the window. He knows the stairs are murderous. And he leaps as the demon comes back in, killing the demon. Yeah. Like, no, no, it's it's very clearly telegraphed. Yeah. Fucking yeets himself out the window. Hell yeah, yeets he himself out that window, goes um, down, all the way down them stairs. Another cool thing about that, with the stairs, to backtrack, is there's a thing that isn't shown, but is told in the movie. And it works well because later we get to see it. But earlier on in the film, the mother has to go out to get medication. Or the mother is out, I think, like filming on a gig or something. And the, the nanny has to leave, and she leaves a drunk. There to look after the girl for a the director bit. of the film, the director of the film of, of that she's working um, on. Yeah, just... you know what? Sorry, it's, I'm bouncing a little bit, but let's backtrack even more for a second because I did I did use my intro name for it, and I feel like that needs explanation for for those listening. Like, there's a scene yeah, where there's a party at the house before she starts to show her signs. Yeah, and in that, the director has this weird line, and I wanted to ask you guys about this. Um, it's probably why I picked it for my name because like it's it's a mental note because I'm I'm so confused by this. What the fuck did he mean? There's just a shot where the director is he's starting to get drunk. He's starting to get drunk. And he looks into his glasses. He kind of swirls it. And he says, oh, it seems there's an alien pubic hair in my glass. I've never seen anything like this before. What do you think it means? And then he goes on. What the fuck does that mean? I don't know, he's man. He's just being weird, a weird zany I think artist. He's just, I think he's just uh, yeah. drunk. I think he's yeah. just fucking drunk. Man, I've been drunk a lot. I've never said shit. Like I that. Um, what the fuck does that mean? I what I love what I love about that scene and and him is <laughs> that is that he has like an imagined vendetta with like uh, Ellen Burstyn's like butler because the butler is German. Well, no, the butler is Swiss. He even tells him in that oh, scene because right. the director's like following him around, accusing him of being a Nazi. Yeah, well, he, I love well. Uh... He says it so much, and he's like, and he's like, I'm Swiss at one point, and walks off. Yeah, the, the director, like, he catches him in the kitchen, and the director, like, looks down his glass, and he looks back up at him, and he, and he says, I, I love how because he, he didn't just say, oh, you fucking Nazi, or whatever. He goes, you, what he's cunting, cunting Hans. Yeah, like, you cunting what a, Hans. What an insult! Like, it's fucking wild. Like, yeah, cunting Hans. Like, so silly, man. Um, so yeah, this the director. Uh, Later on, he goes up to, to look after the girl. Or at least that's what's told to us, because we see the aftermath. The yeah. mother comes back into the house. She sees there's a big draft in the windows. Um, she closes them. Well, even before that, as she's walking back to the house, there's, like, a huge crowd of people, like, gathered at the foot of the stairs. But right. she can't really see, like, what's going on. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, still well, put the pieces together. Yeah, and what's so fascinating about that sequence is, like, it breaks, you know, a sort of traditional cinematic rule of you know show don't tell mm-hmm. you know this is all told to us secondhand and i think in our imagination of what happened especially uh later when the detective tells karis about you know the aftermath and how his head was all the way turned back yeah we imagine so much worse than they could ever show. well it's it, well the cool thing is though is that like we get to have our cake and eat it too it's a setup 
for the the payoff at the very end of the film. Yeah, because like, the same thing happens to Karis. Yeah, so well, like, like here sim- we're told, a similar thing happens. Similar because thing. Well, yeah, it's similar. The director like, was was thrown was likely thrown from the window by the de- yeah, yeah by the demon, but Karis throws himself to take the demon but with him. Man, man takes a big old tumble down some real he long does. stairs, and we get to see it. But, yeah, so it's set up great. Here. It's a great she, style. In, she sees the aftermath. It's slowly pieced together. A detective comes in and is like, or no, sorry, a friend comes in and says, "Hey, oh, you don't know the director was, you know, he died. He fell down the stairs." And we're slowly piecing together that, like, and like we we learn from the detective later on that, like, oh my god, she like twisted his head around and threw him out yeah. the window like a super powerful like man had to do well, this what i and it's it's super cool so like there's all this dialogue about those stairs and we keep seeing the stairs but we keep talking about the death on the stairs and then at the very end boom we get to see it in full like the yeah. camera tumbling down the stairs him going down and like all the payoff so like yeah like it it tells and then shows yeah so you do get both and and that's and what it's, I, it's you know it's, it's fucking pet cemetery. It's never go down that road. He eventually does go down that road. Yeah, you know, like like that's yeah, that's that's the beauty of it. What I what I love about yeah. the the that detail too is that like a common complaint I hear about this movie, even from people who like it, is that the the head turning around, like Reagan's head turning around, is like too much. That, like, it's, like, a goofy effect and that, like, it's just, like, a little bit too over the top for how grounded the rest of the movie is. And while I can see where that comes from, like, the fact that they, that the detective, like, tells Karis that, that Burke or whatever, the director who, you know, who fell down the stairs earlier, that his head was twisted completely around backwards. So when, when you see the demon in Reagan's body twisting her head around backwards to look at somebody, that feels to me like taunting them. Like, you know what I did to that other asshole. You know that I turned his head around backwards. It's the same, like, thematic ripples. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's... it's reminding them what it's capable of, um, which is also like such so great in contrast to earlier, uh, like one of the first times that Karis uh, goes to see Reagan. The demon is like asking him to let it let her out of the straps, and he's like, "Well, if you're all powerful, well, like just make the straps disappear." And he says, "Oh no, that's much too vulgar a display of power." Which, I, frankly, if they'd already crab walked down the stairs, I'm pretty sure they would have in that other. I type. think so. Yeah, yeah it doesn't cut. really fly. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. And it's like, and I love that too. It's just like, it's just like, yeah, you're right. I could make the straps disappear, but where's the fucking fun in that? That's Magic. like, it's all about the. It's mystery. like that's that's too much. That's much too vulgar a display of power. Which incidentally is where the title of that Pantera album comes from. And uh, <laughs> remarkably, for the second time in the same year, we have a Pantera connection to a movie yeah. that we're talking about. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that, frankly. Um, One of my favorite subplots, the demon really preys on vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And the most evocative and clear way we see that is through Karis and his mother. Yes. Who had recently died after being forced into a, a, a mental hospital. Yeah. Um, so he has a lot of... Like a sanitarium. Um, folks home. Yeah, he has place. a lot of baggage with that. 
that well, he feels he feels guilty about it. Yeah, yeah, and uh, the demon preys on that heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of the most evocative sequences is that that dream sequence with. Karis. Oh my god, I love that. Yeah, where it's almost before he's even met the demon. Yeah, it's, it's almost like he's just like foresight like feeling like premonitions of what's to come yeah i love how it's shot too you know it's almost silent with him kind of moaning and mumbling in his sleep yeah it's the 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 sound is the sounds of him sleeping which Mm -hmm. is like such an interesting thing to do for like this dream sequence but yeah that that shot is like shot from like across the street of like his mother coming up from like the subway and like calling for him, but you can't hear anything. And then she like goes back down and said, "That is like it's so, so simple, but it's so fucking spooky." Yeah, it's so evocative. Yeah, well, it's like a shot of Pazuzu. Yeah, get yeah, that, you get those the, flashes the, the in there. Couple little flashes of of its face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think one of the other scariest shots of the film is when Pazuzu is preying on. Karis's vulnerabilities during the exorcism and you know Karis looks over and it's his mother just sitting there in the bed on the bed yeah that's one of the most horrifying shots in the movie it's so simple it's not flashy but just the baggage and the weight to it yeah just adds so much I guess the one of the other things is the music's obviously great yeah you know the theme is iconic tubular bells yes yeah, I mean the music is great. The as I mentioned, like the sound design is is so good. I I I read that the the sound effect of like when the demon like goes into Karis and he jumps out the window was like sound of like pig was the sound of like pigs being herded to slaughter. No shit. Hey, yeah, like we're so saying they, earlier. Yeah, oh, so cool. there's. I didn't know that. Yeah, man, just like a lot of really great sound. We're just like. <sighs> Such an attention just to an incredibly an incredibly crafted film uh performances all around we haven't really gone into specifics on that but ellen burston great linda blair obviously great jason miller uh who plays karis uh incredible understated performance this is his film debut he was a stage actor and playwright before this um just absolutely knocks it out of the park Max von Sydow is great for the the little bit that he is in the movie in all his old age makeup. Um, yeah, man. I, I mean, I feel like there's there's lots more to say about this movie, Sounds. but you know, I mean, we could go for another two hours if we really wanted to dig in. But I mean, it's one of the greatest movies ever made. It's one of the most important horror movies ever made. If you haven't seen it, you you should. Um, and yeah, just, just watch it and and appreciate it for all of the fucking incredible things we've talked about and all the many incredible things that we didn't have a chance to talk about. It was was fun, like kind of taking a moment too, just to sort of speculate on the, the impact this film had. I know like we don't really, we're not really coming at it with like a great deal of research or knowledge on that front, but like even still, it's fun to have a dialogue. I've read some things. Thanks. You know, like it's, it's nice to just kind of like. Kind of ponder about that stuff. I'm coming from a semi factual. Think about perspective. It. Think yeah. about it. Like, yeah, well, I mean, I feel like we've spent more of this more of this episode talking about why this movie is important than like getting too into the specifics of the movie itself. But um, I think it demand for 
for The Exorcist, it demands it. Yes. Um, yeah, frankly, I, mean, I think it's a better format anyway. I don't, I don't think like hitting all of the beats of a movie. Well, yeah, because really if you've seen if you've seen an exorcism movie, like you've seen the story beats of this movie. Yeah. <laughs> well, and a the movie is very minimalistic. You know, mm-hmm. uh, if we went through the beats. You know, it wouldn't take long, and it wouldn't be the most compelling. That wouldn't be good content. And you know, B, like you said, it, it. If you've seen an Exorcism movie, you've seen this. This is the blueprint. Yeah, yeah. the blueprint, the golden standard, um, the tubular blueprint. Tubular blueprint. Uh, I mean, should we do the do the do the dang thing? Go through the motions yeah. of rating. I mean, it's a five. I mean, it's, yeah, it's it would be disingenuous to give it anything else. I think after the discussion we've had, I think it's neat how uh, there's that one shot uh, when they first start performing The Exorcist where she throws her head to the side and pea soup just sort of starts like snaking out of her mouth. Yeah, it's just like dribbling. It's not even dribbling. It's it's like it's like being pulled out. It's so gross. You know, there's like the pea soup vomiting where she spews it at him, but I think this is worse. Like where it's just kind of pouring out of her mouth she gets it all over his nice purple stole too i know yeah um she really stole the scene <laughs> shut the fuck up and all right it's it's a golden pot it's a perfect five out of five rest in peace william friedkin the god Indeed. one of again one of the finest american filmmakers and finest american haters of all time um there is just hours and hours of video footage from behind the scenes and commentaries and interviews of William Friedkin just being a massive hater and it's all so fucking good. He's such so a legend. Do, man. do yourself a favor <laughs> and, and enjoy some of that in his yeah, honor. So many great stories yeah. behind the scenes. Yeah. Too. And it's the Halloween season, you know, so go watch The Exorcist. It yeah. tis tis the season. This is a great time for it. It's time for and I'll also say I watched, I guess it was about a year ago now, or six months or so, um, but I recently watched Sorcerer for the first time. Yeah, you and I watched it together. That's right, and and we'll never have an opportunity, it's not a horror film, so we'll never have an opportunity to talk about it on the podcast, so I just want to bring it up now. It is also one of the best action films that I've seen. Yeah, dude, Sorcerer. Um, Or adventure films, is a better way to phrase it, too. But, um, like, and it just goes to show that the man, I mean, like, like, just was the master of so many genres as well, like. Like yeah. he, he, he again, this is considered one of the greatest horror movies of all time. I I personally would agree that like Sorcerer is one of the best adventure films of all time. It's it's incredible. And yeah. It's so tense. Um, true, truly, just incredible, incredible tension across both films. And so I would, I would highly recommend Sorcerer as well if you yeah. haven't seen it. It has nothing to do with sorcerers. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a remake of The Wages of Fear, which is also a great yeah. movie. Also a classic. Um, so yeah, well, Friedkin the God. Um, unfortunately, next week we, uh, while there, you know, know, as we've seen, you know, as this movie tells us, there is great light in the world, but that means there must also be great darkness. And next week we have to, uh, we have to go see the Exorcist <coughs> Believer. All right, snap prediction. You guys think there's going to be pea soup in the new one? 
There will not be vomiting of pea soup. At one point, at one point, a character will be eating a bowl of pea soup or something as like a nod to it. Or somebody, or somebody will make, or somebody will make a little quippy joke about pea soup or something. There will be a line about pea soup, or a character will be eating pea soup. Mm. But there will not be any vomiting of pea soup. Is my prediction. I think it's a good prediction. I hate it. I agree. Yeah, I think I think that they're they're gonna they're gonna do all of that that silly shit. Yeah, so that'll be that'll be next week. You've joined us this week for our great ecstasy. So next week, what exorcistcy? Yeah. So join us next week for (laughs) as uh, we exercise any hope we had. (laughs) Yeah. Any ever, joy we had. <laughs> yeah, of any experience, any hope of experiencing joy in the world ever again. Let's do a sponsor. Let's do a sponsor. The shelf calls, it speaks, it whispers the name Pazuzu at us, which is in poor taste, but whatever. Anyway, here we go. Uh, this week was brought to you by... <laughs> this week was brought to you by the Bushido Code. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> We've been feeling, talking about feeling, that a lot uh, lately. Not on the down podcast. And, uh, uh, aimless and wandering. Wander no more. Adopt the Bushido code. <laughs> Truly become a samurai. Yeah, I'm right. a re- I'm a return to tradition guy for the Bushido code. <laughs> anyway, I don't know if I am. I had to think about it. Anyway, in my head. Thanks, thanks, for, <laughs> thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, if you like the show, leave us a five-star review. Uh, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podpeoplepod. Shout out to our honorary pod boys, Sam, Zach, Micah, and Mitchell. As always, we love and appreciate them. Uh, you can also follow us at letterbox.com slash podpeoplepod, where you'll find a list of all the films we've talked about on the show with our average ratings and links to those reviews. You can also see all of our golden pods there, our perfect five out of five films, uh, and The Exorcist is there now, too, where it belongs. Um, For my other recommendation this week, as everybody in our Discord knows, I am currently experiencing a period of being deeply Herzog-pilled, so I've been watching a lot of his shit, and so I'm going to recommend one of his very early documentaries um, called The Great Ecstasy of Woodcarver Steiner. It's only 45 minutes. It's on Tubi. It's about a... It's so uh, crazy that Tubi has so many Herzog movies. They have almost all of his films. That's rad. It's, it's amazing, yeah. It's, it's been incredible. Um, but it's, it's about a, uh, a world champion ski jumper uh, who goes to like a jumping event and uh, is basically so good at it that he has to effectively handicap himself in the competition. Um, otherwise, he runs the risk of injuring himself from jumping too far. Uh, and uh, it's Herzog's first documentary that he himself narrates. He gets in front of the camera a little bit, um, but it's just a fantastic example of Herzog's ability to take something that you would never think that you have a single ounce of interest in and making it completely fascinating. What's so fascinating about Herzog's documentaries? I'm going to go on a tangent really quick, sure. but he often injects falsehoods into them pieces of fiction yes. 
you know, because as he puts it, they're not going at the accountant's truth per se, you know, like, you know, written down factual reality. They're going towards a more ecstatic truth. The ecstatic you know, truth. A greater yes. idea and meaning to what's being conveyed. Um, and I find that fascinating. I think it's cool. I don't always agree with it, but I think it's neat. What's your shout out, Ben? Um, well, I have two, I have two <laughs> recommendations this week. They're, they're both related. So, first recommendation, I recently discovered that the BFI, British Film Institute, they do a book series uh, called BFI Film Classics. They're little, tiny, 100 to 200 page books, each on a single film. Um, they have like two or three hundred of these oh, at shit. this point. But, uh, yeah, it's awesome. Having a little book that goes in depth on a single film, really cool <laughs> stuff. Uh I think there's one on The Exorcist, even. I would not be surprised. Yeah, definitely worth checking out. Uh, on top of that, I do want to shout out another Friedkin classic, uh, To Live and Die in L.A., I William Graham, and uh, Christopher Walken. Uh, it's a fantastic fucking movie. One of Friedkin's best. Um, definitely worth watching. Oh yeah, I've got a bunch of little micro shout-outs. Uh, now that the showcase is out and over, um, the, the Indie Horror Showcase, uh, sponsored by The Mix, Horror, um, Horror Visuals and Dread XP. You know them, because I work for them. Um, what? What? Uh, uh, it's now out, uh, as of uh, the day of recording, the 19th. And um, all sorts of incredible trailers uh, were dropped during it. Some really amazing indies. I'd recommend just like flitting through the showcase. Um, uh, just to see, like, some of these, like, really cool games that you might not have heard of before. Um, but in addition, on the Dread XP side, we launched, like, so many new trailers, uh, that in some capacity I had a hand in. Um, from Hellpunk, to Silvio, Black Waters, to, uh, Amanda, The Adventurer 2, um, and, uh, of course, Creepshow, as well. And Sucker for Love, too. I mean, so many great trailers. Um, hopefully I didn't forget any. There's just so many. Um... But, uh, yeah, mainly, please do go check out the Creepshow trailer. We worked very hard on it. There's a whole, like, visual sequence that we hand-animated. Uh, also, I want to shout-out, because I kind of fumbled the shout-out last week because the, the showcase hadn't come out yet, so I just want to, like, more formally shout-out uh, Christopher Yabsley's uh, Pigsaw Human Abattoir, the sequel to Pigsaw Whoa. that he announced in the showcase also. A, a squeal cool a squeal. almost. Ooh. Got pigs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, go go. Uh, I don't think it's you know I don't think it's a Steam page up yet for wish listing, but you can go check out the trailer for Human Abattoir. Uh, all right. Well, thank you for listening. In preparation for next week's episode, we do ask for you to please pray for the safety of our souls. Get it, get it.